All right, welcome back to Everyday Elevations, the podcast where we transform ordinary moments into extraordinary outcomes. Today, we have a very special guest. With the holidays coming up, I felt like it would be really good for us to find somebody who is an expert in grief and how to deal with grief. I know a lot of people struggle, and myself as well, struggle with grief on the holidays. I've recently lost somebody very close and near and dear to me, and so I wanted to reach out, and so, so grateful that Desiree here reached out to me on a Facebook group and wanted to discuss grief. Desiree here is a certified professional coach, and she's also a certified grief educator. She trained with David Kessler, who's an expert on grief, and also completed a grief movement class with Paul Dennison. With that, I'm just going to let you take it away, Desiree. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jason. Um, I just wanted, you know, I ended up on this journey partly because of my own journey with grief. Um, my first major experience with grief was my dad died about 20 years ago, two days after Christmas. And then my mom passed a couple of days after Thanksgiving, actually two days after Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. So I was like, when I was thinking about grief in the holidays, I'm like, let me show up and be the person that I wish that I had years ago when I was trying to navigate the holidays and our bodies remember, you know, like that's something that I didn't understand about grief is I'm like, I'm just having these feelings and then I'll check the date and I'm like, this is why I'm feeling this way. So that's a little bonus. I have prepared some, some things to, to talk about with grief. Um, but that is a little bonus to start off. If you're just having the blues, check the calendar and just reference what might've gone on that was a little bit sad and around this time of year. And that might be a signal to what's coming up. I love that because I wouldn't even think to check the calendar for those dates before we had our first conversation. Now, now I do look at it, but <laughs> that's a wonderful tip. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, I mean, it's so funny that we're talking about grief because this is something like I, I think back to Brene Brown and how she talks about shame and vulnerability and people just want to run in the other direction. And what I'd love to invite any of the listeners is to come in and have a seat at the table. And let's talk about this because it is a universal human experience. And having an open heart, David Kessler says, you know, um, a grieving heart is an open heart, like we are grieving because we love. And that that is a beautiful thing. And life is tragic and beautiful all in the same moment. And so it's okay to not be okay. But be open to these moments of connection. So first of all, I want to just say grief is something that nobody talks about, but everybody feels it in some way. If you love, you're going to grieve. Um, so just, just get it out of the way. Let's address the elephant in the room. Um, it sounds trite, but let's talk about it. And it doesn't have to be this depressing, awful conversation. Um, my mom died after having a journey with ALS. Um, that is a disease that we knew nothing about. It involves a lot of caregiving. It is, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. So if, if your listeners haven't heard of it, maybe you knew it under Lou Gehrig's disease. A lot of people are like, oh, I remember the ice bucket challenge. But walking through that journey was really difficult. But I remember her hospice nurse telling us at one point, he said, you're living for these moments of connection and joy. And he was like, there can still be connection and joy even in this journey. And so that's what we lived for. And there were moments of joy even in that grief. So just know that 
everybody experiences grief and it's okay. If you have a moment of joy, you don't need to feel guilty about it. Um, and that leads into my second point is that grief is a series of, it can be a series of events, not just a single event. So with the situation that I just referred to where my mom was navigating a terminal illness, there's really not many treatments for ALS. They're, they don't really understand it. It's such a complex disease. Um, but there was, it was called anticipatory grief. So when you're walking through, watching your parents aging is anticipatory grief. Dementia, why, you know, taking care of people that are navigating dementia, that is an anticipatory grief experience. So it's, it may not just be a single event. Like my dad died of a massive heart attack. That was a very different grief experience, which leads into another point I want to make. The, our, our grief is shaped by our losses. So the, the loss of my father, I was in my 20s, I was in university, I was about to graduate. It was a very different grief experience than losing my mom in my 40s and losing her after a long illness, losing him to a sudden um, passing. It just felt so different. There was still, there were threads of the same feelings, but losing my dad after a sudden loss was like being hit by a bus. It felt like the trauma after being hit by a bus. Whereas losing my mom after a long illness felt like being exhausted at the end of a marathon. So if you're in that caregiving role, there's anticipatory grief that is coming up and it's okay to feel that. And it's okay. That's going to shape your grief journey. So just something to note. Any questions so far with what I've shared? Um, no, not on my end. No, I kind of, I'm tracking with you here. I'm actually, no, that's not you. I'm a little bit curious because I experienced both of those as well with my grandparents. Um, without going too much detail, my, my grandma actually passed away in my arms, um, or in the same, I don't know at what point she passed away, but long story short, I was there and I had to give her CPR. So it was, it was quick, sudden, wasn't expecting it. I'm more curious. Is it harder to get over and just more of a personal perspective too? Was it harder for you to get over your father passing or when you were doing the care for your mother? Cause you did so much caretaking. So for me, it actually wound up being the reverse. So I'm just curious how it was for you. I think, you know, it's interesting cause I was reflecting back with somebody and, and my sister and I were actually talking about it with my dad. There was a lot of complexities and we'll talk about complicated grief in a minute. There were a lot of complexities. He was remarried. He had a new wife. After he died, then it was the older kids and the new family and there was legal stuff. And it was that complicated, that grief journey a lot. Um, so it was just, it was different. I was in a different stage of my life and I'm, gi I'm giving you some for instances to kind of put it in context. When you lose somebody in your twenties, like a parent, it feels different. When you're in your forties, there is like a gut check of like, oof, I'm getting up there. What's happening? Like, you know, it, it's, it feels different because your own, you're facing, you know, you're, you realize that you're aging and it's like, like this is, it's, it's a different experience because of how we are in our life journey, where we are in our life journey and how the loss happened. And so when you talk about that experience with your grandmother, that is a traumatic experience. So it was not only a grief experience, it sounds like there was some trauma there. And one thing that 
I learned from David Kessler is that all trauma has grief. Because if we frame grief as just an event that we didn't want to occur, right? Something we didn't want to happen, then it makes sense when we view it through the lens of there could be, if trauma is, it's not like we're walking around inviting trauma into our lives. So it makes sense that all trauma has grief. Does that kind of, I didn't, I don't feel like I answered your question, but it's, it depends on how the loss happened, where you are in your life's journey. There's all these factors that factor into how we grieve and how that grief shows up and how we process it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I kind of understood this a little, is a difficult question to answer directly because there's so many different variables included. Um, but it makes sense with the whole mortality factor too. As you're getting older, it kind of clicked in my head with my grandfather too. I was like, ooh, I was like, uh-oh, uh, he's gone. I was like, I'm getting up there now. I'm about to have a kid. So that doesn't necessarily make me feel any younger at this moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, sometimes we start losing friends. You know, like I, I've lost friends that were my age or younger and, and that becomes more prevalent, um, as we age. And then we start to face, like, you start to examine your whole life experience of like, this wasn't exactly the way that I thought it was going to work out. Um, which we can, we can talk about that leads into some other things that I wanted to touch on with related to grief is that grief isn't just, it's not just something that occurs after you lose a loved one. We have grief experiences all throughout our lives that we may not have like given credence to, right? So it's, it can show up in the loss of a dream. So realizing that you had a dream to like live in an RV and travel around the country and that may not happen. Maybe you had a serious health diagnosis. If you are navigating an infertility journey, if you are a woman who has lost pregnancies, those are grief events. And a lot of times, we don't feel comfortable sharing them with other people because they're so private. So just inviting your listeners to give themselves grace to understand that there is grief. It is a loss. It, you know, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to share that with people, you know, with people that you feel comfortable with. Um, but grief isn't just something that occurs after the loss of a loved one. And job, job loss is another one. There's a lot of grief and job loss, changing jobs. Your social system is so wrapped up in who you work with. I mean, you think about how much time we spend at work. Um, there's a lot of social stuff that goes on at work. So when you leave a job or when you retire, um, even, you know, retirement is a choice, but it changes your life so much that there can be some aspects of grief in there. Interesting. I never really thought about the leaving a job as a sense of, grief but when you think about it you kind of especially you worked a place for a long time if you worked there for a year plus like you built these relationships that you mentioned and you look at it you're like hmm it's like i have this weird pit in my stomach of like almost like a regret type feeling as you leave it and i didn't really put two and two together that's grief all right that's cool there's just a little side note from me there sorry <laughs> and it might feel a little bit different you know like like it's, it may not be as gut wrenching as losing someone from a sudden loss, like in a car accident or, you know, a heart attack or whatever. Um, but there, it's a little twinge on your heart that you, you loved the people that you were, you might've loved the people you work with. You might've not. Right. Or maybe you love the work that you were doing, or there was a time where you felt really passionate about what you were doing. 
And the other thing I want to say is like, if you've lost your job and you're showing up at the holidays and you're really struggling in your job search, it's okay to just set a boundary and say, I really, you know, I, I don't want to talk about that today. I prefer, let's, could we change the subject? Like, um, redirect the conversation. If it's not something that you want to talk about in an audience that you feel safe, it is absolutely okay to set a boundary on who you want to open up and be vulnerable with, because this is a tender time for you. It's okay for you to say, I'm going to protect my heart. I am going, I'm healing and I need to be mindful of who I share openly with. Absolutely. Love it. Please please carry on. (laughs) Okay. So the next thing is that grief is exhausting. I did not realize this. And, um, when I was going through my divorce, I was just, I was, I, I felt like the grief experience, some moments felt like the grief experience when I lost my dad. And that really sidelined me because I was like, I'm such a strong woman. I'm going to handle this. Great. Like I, I have been through the fires of life and I am ready to take on any challenges and divorce. Holy moly. Like, even though I filed for it and, and I knew that it was the best option for me that I had worked for years to try to make this marriage work and it was not working. I remember telling my sister at one point, I said, I have to love myself more than I love him. And cause she kept saying, what is, what is happening? Like, what is going on with us? And I said, I have to love myself more, but loving myself more was so super scary. And there was a lot of grief and the loss of realizing the loss of that dream. And I was just exhausted all the time. And I was like, what's wrong with me? I need to fix this. And I went to a divorce support group and they talked about how exhausting grief is. And I was like, oh, so I'm not crazy, you know? And then um, caregiving for my mom was just exhausting because caregiving for an ALS patient, somebody posted a meme in a Facebook group this morning. And it was like, it was like, this is what I, you know, I know I'm just an ALS caregiver. And it was like somebody that was just frazzled and exhausted. And I was like, you've been there. Like I resonate with that. Right. Um, and so it's like, what can we do to support you? Because that is exhausting. Being a caregiver is exhausted, exhaust, exhausting. But then also you have that anticipatory grief. You have a thousand million, you know, things to manage. So just if you're exhausted, give yourself some grace um, that this is, you're processing some big emotions. Your body is likely in fight or flight uh, for long. It could be for long periods of time. And your nervous system's just wigging out. So take the rest that you need. Um, find the ways to support yourself in that exhaustion. Like I would take bubble baths. Um, somebody jokingly said, oh, it's like a bathtub meditation, whatever. Take walks, slow, mindful walks. It doesn't need to be this power walking exhaustion. If you feel a surge of energy or anxiety, maybe go for a run. But listen to what your body needs. And if it's rest, get the rest that you need. And that leads into another thing. I think I shared this um, when we chatted before um, recording. One thing that I really found hor- like hard after my dad died was sleeping. Um, because of the sudden loss, I would wake up and I would, I would have these dreams that he faked his death. I was just reading Harry's, uh, Prince Harry's book, Spare. And he had the same experience with Prin- Princess Diana's after his mom died. Um, he would dream that she faked her death. And then you wake up and you're like, I had this horrible dream that my dad died and he faked his death. And you're like, no, that wasn't a dream. That's my real life. And so I just didn't want to get, I didn't want to sleep. So if you're having these dreams and they're traumatic to wake up every morning, 
Um, I'm realizing it's more common than I thought initially. But one thing that helped me get better sleep was actually saying the rosary. And I'm not trying to push a religious, um, any kind of spiritual practice on anybody from any religion. But what I've come to learn is that that meditative, tangible, physically moving through the beads and saying a mantra or a prayer in whatever belief system that feels authentic and accessible to you may be a helpful way to get your body to relax. It's a way of meditating without having to sit and, you know, try to turn off your brain. Instead, you're giving your brain a very simple mantra or prayer with a tangible, like, sequence of beads to work through. And, and it wasn't until I found the Episcopal Church a couple of years ago that they have a rosary and you can make up whatever prayers you want. And I'm like, oh, so there are no rules. We can make our own rules. So whatever your belief system is, maybe get a set of really beautiful beads. You know, it could be whatever, whatever belief system, whatever prayer, whatever mantra works for you. Um, if you want to, if you want to turn it into a ritual to remember your lost loved one, that might be an option. So just find ways to find that rest because grief is exhausting and give yourself the grace. It may not be the time to, to, you know, shed 20 pounds and start a new workout program and just be gentle with yourself. Oh, I love it. Just because that's something that I don't think we really take stock in as much as we should. Like you have to understand that, as you said, grief is a process. And I think people try and distract themselves. I know I did. I constantly tried to keep myself busy just to not think about my, my grandfather's passing. Um, one thing I did do so I couldn't be forced to think of it, I did nature walks. Living in Colorado, I'm super fortunate. So there's beautiful creeks everywhere you go, mountains, everything. Um, that was just my own personal thing. I've posted a couple of videos on, on how I dealt with grief um, on Instagram in the past, Facebook. But no, I love it. Those are amazing tips. Uh, please, please carry on. So one thing that I wanted to touch on since you brought up nature, um, and I realized this, I went camping for the first time a, a few years ago. I got a little pop-up. It's a tent on a trailer is what it is. Um, and I was sitting out, you know, just watching the leaves and the trees rustle at the campsite. I was too tired to go do anything physical because I was still, you know, recovering from just the the stress of the last couple of years and my nervous system was still calming down. And I was like, this is amazing. And I said, I think I've read about how nature calms our nervous system. So I started Googling it on my phone. Of course, this, you know, this is what you should be doing when you're in nature is getting on your phone and start researching. <laughs> but it's fractal patterns. So nature is full of these things called fractal patterns. And what it is, is it's the same shape, but in different sizes and slightly variated, right? So if you think the leaves of a tree, it's the same shape. They're just slightly, you know, varied in size. And then the bark of a tree that is calming. Those patterns are calming to your nervous system. So when people talk about nature being therapy, it's totally, it's, it's science backed. It makes sense. So going out into nature is a great way to see if that helps your nervous system. Just pay attention to what it's more about being aware because it can be easy to distract yourself with busyness. Like when you talked about, that's how you a lot of people just go to, let me just stay busy. So I don't think about it. Let me just stay busy. So I don't think about it. But the more that we try to shove those feelings down and don't feel them, they're going to surface. 
Because what you're doing is you're just shoving it. It's growing, shoving it. I'll deal with it later, shoving it. It's growing. And I remember after my mom died, I was like, I start crying. I'm never going to stop. I don't know if I can start crying. And, you know, my therapist was like, when are you going to cry? Like, this is not normal. And I was like, oh, mind your business. <laughs> I did a lot of crying when she was alive. Uh, and and we went from my mom's journey. I went right out of her passing into COVID. So it was complicated by that. And um, and I was like, I don't want to cry because I don't know if I'm going to stop. And one day I started crying and I was like, oh, here we go. This is going to be months. And it wasn't bad. It was less than I thought. And I was like, okay, I'm surfacing these feelings. I'm processing them. And it it is the best way. Professionals, I have been on many a presentation, coaching, you know, people that are experts in, in this. Shoving your feelings down makes them grow. But addressing them, you've got to address it. You've got to feel so that you can heal. And then it your body knows what to do. You're going to start to move forward. So just trust yourself. And if you need support in that, find a therapist, find a coach. There are even peers that will support you. There are certified grief educators that are peers that have been through similar journeys that are showing up to support other people. They'll refer you to therapists if they think you need therapy. Um, But like find someone who can help hold your hand and guide you through this process if you feel that that's what you need. Don't be afraid to feel. Um, okay, next thing. Uh, your loss shapes the grief. I, ta- I touched on this a little bit about how that differed from, you know, where you are in life and how you lose, you know, how that loss occurs. If you lose your job, um, you know, in a business downturn, that can feel very different than you walking away from a job and you having a new job. Um, even when you're in grief, there can be moments of joy and connection. I did cover this a little bit. Um, that was a, a great gift from my mom's hospice nurse. And just to, you know, I posted something on social media this morning and I was like, there's a fine line between grief and tragedy. tragedy. And I was like, where did I hear this? And, you know, so I started Googling um, because that's what you do again. And um, I was like, okay, I didn't make this up. There's like, yes, it's true. Um, but I remember having moments where my mom couldn't even speak towards the end. She couldn't eat. She was on a feeding tube. And so I just tried to find humor in any way possible. And even feeding my mom, we would have giggling fits because I would, she had, it's called a peg tube. And I, so I'd nickname, I was like, oh, you have a little person that lives in your, your stomach now. And her name's Peggy. And we're going to check on her. And like, I made a game out of it. My mom was just like, she, you're, crazy. you know, she just do the little crazy things. Um, the little crazy movement and, but it gave us moments of, you know, let's, let's try to find some humor in this. Um, her last birthday, we all knew it was going to be her last birthday. So we, I mean, I got on Amazon and I just, we decorated the house. We had like streamers in the doorway and she was in an, a motorized chair and she's trying to drive her chair through like these giant, like it was just, it was obnoxious. And I had party hats and people were coming over and, all day and everybody took a picture with her. There were moments of incredible connection, even in that sadness. And so if I have a purpose on this earth, it is to instill in you that you can, it can be very sad. You can be in a sad season, but you can still have some moments of joy. And that's, it's not, 
it's not like illegal. You're not going to get a ticket for it. It's not, I mean, find what feels comfortable to you. Our perspectives shape so much of how this journey unfolds, not only the person that's directly affected. So if you're caring for a patient with a terminal illness, their perspective, their attitudes are going to shape a lot of their journey and it's going to impact you as well, but you only have control over how you react. Now be respectful to them. Um, if they're not cool with you joking around, then, you know, maybe it was my mom. I knew my mom, she had a sense of humor, so we had some fun, but you know, just even if you can't have those moments of silliness, find those moments of connection. Um, there might be factors that complicate your grief journey. So, you know, you're going to be on this journey with other people. There are, we are complicated beings. So if you are grieving the loss of someone, say you're grieving the loss of a marriage and there were some really not good parts, say there was some abuse going on, but you're still really sad and you're grieving those moments of connection and those memories that you had or that the dreams that you had, you know, that, that now you realize it's, it may not materialize or it's going to look very different than you initially planned. There can be some complicated feelings that come up in that. Of, I shouldn't be upset about this, but I am. So just, it's okay if you have that complicated grief. Um, touching back to all trauma has grief. Trauma is definitely going to complicate your grief. So if you need that support, reach out to a trained professional and get that, that help that you need if you've got those complicated feelings. Okay, so feeling and processing your emotions is the best path forward. I talked a lot about this a couple minutes ago. It's better to feel than to numb. We can't selectively numb. That is something Brene Brown has said. So we can't numb, you know, one part of our feelings. We can't numb the bad stuff and still feel the good stuff. So by opening yourself up to continuing to feel those, those hard emotions also opens you up to the joy. Um, it's, you know, it, 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 there are multiple ways that we can numb. You can use substances, you can shop, you can distract yourself you know, with social media all day. Um, just pay attention. Hobbies. I was a serial hobbyist for a while. I knew how to do every craft on the planet. And at one point I had someone really call me on it and she was like, you're not happy. And I was like, I'm happy. Look at all the things that I'm doing. It wasn't about that. I was trying to mask some real pain that I needed to feel in my life. And when I started to address that, it was hard. I'm not going to say that was easy. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't helping me to continue to try to stay busy in mass. So feel those feelings. Okay. So essentially if you're numbing yourself to whether it's grief or whatever it is, you're less likely to experience genuine happiness because of the fact that you can't have one without the other in the sense that you're numbing part of who you are. And I never really thought about that, but it does make sense off of past experiences. Um, way back in the day for me, when I was in the military, I did a lot of numbing. Talk about trauma in the military. I'm not going to go into too many stories here, um, or any for that matter, but just ways for me to, in my mind, relate to this. It's like, wow, I didn't, in, in that moment, I didn't even think about it. I didn't think about the fact that I was medicating with alcohol at the time. So that part I already knew was bad. But it is how I knew how to deal with emotions at that moment in time. And so I didn't think about the fact that 
because I was numbing one set of one portion of who I was that I wasn't able to get to the happiness factor either. It took a while for me to recover from all that. And it, it invites us to live in our authenticity, right? So when we stop numbing, we, we start to really get in touch with who we are and what we're feeling and what we need. Um, and then that opens us up to more genuinely connect with others. And like, I've heard that, um, that addiction is actually just an absence of connection. People really want to be connected and they're numbing. And so um, when we sink into our authenticity, it allows us to connect better with others. And then you don't feel like you need that numbing. I mean, it's, it is hard. We're not taught. I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy. We're not taught in the, in our culture in the United States, I believe on how to process and feel our feelings. I think the younger generations are getting much better at this. I'm in my forties. I'm a Gen Xer. I was not taught this. It was like, shut up. I'm going to give you something to cry about like that kind of stuff. Right? Like we were, we were not met with empathy. I'm like, wait, wait, hey, wait you can parent that way. Like what? Um, that's not how it worked for us. And so we're having to re re figure this stuff out as adults on how to really like, get in touch with our feelings because we were just told like put your head down and push forward and you know keep moving on and work harder and um and it was just all about effort 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 and sometimes when you hit a wall like when you are really struggling when you've had trauma or you're in deep grief the best answer may not be to push forward we were having this discussion yesterday at my cousin's house she pulled up this uh coach this college coach and she's like, isn't this an amazing message? I was like, no, because sometimes the answer isn't to keep pushing. Sometimes the answer is you go lay down and you, and you journal and you feel, you know, like, and I was like, that's not our traditional way of dealing with things, but sometimes that's not the answer. And I know that because I have been there last year, I was trying to push and everything tried, it was kept blowing up in my face and I would go into meditation and I would ask for guidance. And the answer I was getting was you need to rest. And I was like, I don't need to rest. This is what I need to do. Push harder, push harder. And every time I pushed harder, it would blow up in my face. And I was like, well, maybe this is not working for me. And maybe I should listen and go rest. And it was the most, I, I would say that it was the period of my life where I had an immense amount of growth and it allows me to show up more healed so that I can help other people who are on the struggle bus now because I wasn't completely off of it yet and I didn't want to admit it I just wanted to show up and serve and it was like no I think you need to heal a little bit more so it kind of comes from there does that make sense (laughs) oh absolutely thank you so much for clarifying that really appreciate it no worries um okay this is how to advocate for yourself in grief I did not know how to do this um And it was incredibly insightful when David Kessler shared this. The best way to be supported in grief is have someone hold space for you. We hear that so much, but what the heck does that mean, right? So holding space for someone is letting them share, deeply listening to them without judgment. So the way that I love to do this and show up for other people that I encounter that are in grief is I sit and I listen to their stories of their loved ones. And I ask for their name and I ask questions about this, you know, whatever story they want to tell, what was this person like? And you can feel that sense of healing that starts to come forth when they're able to just openly share with someone who is curious and not judgmental. 
And that, that is a moment of connection. And when we, you know, I've heard from so many people that we heal in relationship to other people, we heal through relationships. You're giving that person a safe place to share. And so if you're supporting someone in grief, that's the best thing that you can do is to be curious, to keep your story, to keep your story, your story should not be the forefront. Share your story, but only in service to others, right? So one thing that I hear a lot when I see people supporting others in grief is like, oh, I understand exactly how you feel. And I remember my therapist telling me when my mom was navigating her ALS journey, she was like, I want to tell you how that I know how you feel, but I don't because I've never cared for somebody with ALS. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for that brutal honesty. Because you don't understand my relationship with my dad. You don't understand my life journey. It's not disrespectful to say, but you may not understand all the aspects of the things that I'm walking through, right? So if you can try to stay away from that, I understand exactly how you feel. You can say something like, I really had trouble sleeping when my dad died. You know, if they share that they're having trouble sleeping, right? I really had trouble sleeping when my dad died. I found out that like saying the rosary really was helpful for me. Is there like a mantra and, you know, like, is there a, you know, a ritual that you can design around beads and mantras or prayers or whatever that might be helpful for you? That's in service to them, right? You're sharing that piece of your story to try to help them instead of getting stuck in your story and then sooner or later, y'all are at the struggle Olympics and you're competing for who gets the gold medal in grief, right? You don't want to do that. That's not fun for anybody and it can actually cause harm. So if you are supporting someone in grief and you feel called to share your story, check in with yourself. Is this in service to them? Any questions on that? No, I mean, unfortunately not because we've already discussed this in depth previously. Um, I, I love that. I actually did practice the rosary. Um, still working on creating a mantra that sticks with me right now, but I, I can say that definitely helped. I didn't use it for sleep though, but I also haven't struggled with sleep. I use it just for a calming sense for me personally. Um, like when I start thinking about my grandparents, I use a mantra for them uh, with, with the, my grandfather's rosary. So I want to thank you first and foremost for that tip when you gave it to me like a week or two ago because that has been a huge help for me kind of pushing through especially with the holidays thank you for sharing that because it just makes it makes sometimes you wonder like am I off am I off the wall here and um yeah my my neighbor in my apartment complex when I was in college actually sat down and wrote out the rosary he was this like big old weightlifting dude he competed and he's just sitting there writing out the, the prayers for me in the rosary I'm like what is wrong with this picture um, it was awesome. Not to, not to stereotype. That was terrible for me to stereotype, but I will never forget Tim and his generosity to me in that moment. And the, the people that carry you through, that's one thing that, you know, I, my sister and I look at each other and we're like, we always go to the funeral. It's very important for us to go and show up for people who are in grief. It doesn't, the, these memorial services and these funerals and these rituals are not for, necessarily for the person who passed. It's for the people who are left behind, for the grievers, right? And so I have a friend that was like, I'm not going to that service because I didn't even really know their mom. And I'm like, it's not about their mom. It's about our friend, right? And, but people have, you know, some people are kind of like not comfortable with that. That's fine. Show up in another way 
when someone is grieving, like my mom told me after my dad died, she was like, two weeks, all your friends are going to dry up in two weeks. Everybody's going to forget what happened. Then we're going to move on with your lives. And I was like, well, that was kind of negative. And she had a point, right? And so set, like if someone important has experienced a grief event, set a calendar reminder for two weeks in the future and reach out to them and share a memory. Another thing that David Kessler said that just popped up, it was not, it's not on my list, but let's talk about it. Um, if you know that there is an anniversary, okay, so like my dad's birthday was a couple of weeks ago. My, my siblings and I all remember he's been dead for 20 something years. Like we all remember when his birthday is every year, but nobody, you know, people are afraid to bring it up. They're like, oh, I don't want to remind them. You know what? We're thinking about it. It's okay to bring it up. And by you bringing it up, it actually signals to us that you cared enough about that person that, that you're remembering them too. And that means a lot to a person who's in grief. So it's okay if you feel uncomfortable and you're like, I don't know, I think it's around the time that our dad died. Should I say something? Bring it up because they're already thinking about it. You know, like that's, that stuff, it, it is ingrained in us. I re- I remember David Kessler telling this story. He was like, I think it was like a couple years after his mom died. And he said, it was like the, it was the anniversary of her passing. And he mentioned something to someone and they said, oh, well, how long ago did your mom die? And he was like, oh, it's been like about eight years. And they were like, wow, you're still really grieving. And he turned to them and he said, let me guess, you've never lost anyone close to you. And they were like, no, how did you know? And he was like, because if you know, you know. And if you've lost somebody, you understand. And so it's just kind of demystifying that assumption or de- uh, like, like coming, like it's okay to say something. It's letting you know, giving you permission that it's okay to step out of that social norm where you feel safe or you're like, oh, it's better not to say anything. It's okay to say things. And if you say it with compassion and empathy, that's going to come across way. I mean, they're going to get the point. And so um, a lot of people don't know what to say in grief. So they don't say anything. And it's not, it's not about saying anything. It's about holding space without like in support, without judgment. Um, It's not about what you say. It's about being present. Uh, That's beautiful and incredibly helpful. I know I actually caught myself in the past where I was like, oh, I want to say something, but I don't know if I'll say the right thing. Like you want to come up with like this grandiose message of like letting them know that, hey, I really care about you. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Then you overthink it. You don't send it. You're just like, oh, maybe they just need time to process and give yourself excuses. So it's great to hear you just mention, hey, they're going to appreciate the support just reach out. It's okay. Like they're already, as you said, they're already thinking about it. Um, So yeah, super helpful. I love that. And if you would like to just reach out and say, Hey, like just a text, like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Right. Or a Facebook message. There's a a gentleman that I just um, came into my orbit and he talks about the power of connecting with others. And that's what that is. It takes just a moment. It's a little dip into vulnerability, but it takes just a moment to, to let people know that you care. So the last two things I want to talk about is that everyone grieves differently. And that's because we're, our grief is unique, right? 
One thing that I had I heard explained, I think it was Gabor um, Mate. I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly, but he was talking about um, how even in family dynamics, when we come into a family, say there's three kids and, you know, between my mom and my dad, right? So three siblings in that family. And my sister would always be puzzled. She was like, well, you know, she thought that my experience in the family was the same as her experience. Well, she's six years older. And I was like, hey, you had two parents until you went off to college. They got divorced when I was 12. Like my teen years looked very different than your teen years, right? And so when I started like sharing that with her, she was like, oh, so, you know, everybody would joke that, oh, you know, your dad was a lawyer by the time you were born. And it was like, you know, whereas my sister wore it like a badge of like, we didn't have a whole lot of money when I was a kid. And I'm like, but it was, it's just different. Our parents, as we progress through life, we're changing. We're having children. Every time we have a new child, the family dynamic changes. The relationships that we have, like my, my dad had trouble connecting closely with my brother because he had an abusive father. And so that relationship was harder for him to navigate, right? Whereas he connected really well with his daughters. But so when my dad died, it didn't impact my brother as much because he didn't have that closeness. His relationship with my dad was very different. But when my mom passed, it was harder on him. So understanding these family dynamics, that's going to shape everybody's grief journey. My sister looked at me at one point and was like, why aren't you crying? I'm like, I've been crying for a year and a half. Like, you know, but she was crying at different points and I was crying. The awesome part of that is that you can support each other in different ways. If you feel safe enough to, sometimes the people closest to us are not the best people to support us through that. You know, sometimes there's a lot of other things that are mixed in and it's kind of like untangling a big old bowl of spaghetti. And it's better just to seek, you know, support outwardly. But understand that if you're looking to somebody else's grief journey to look like yours, it's not going to. And any questions on that one? No, I was going to say it's very interesting because I think a lot of people don't add that factor in that we we each process things differently. I think we're as a society getting smarter about it now. We're becoming more in tune. But for instance, us growing up, we wouldn't have thought that same way. Um, that wouldn't have been something that was so open out there in the world. And I think it's important for people, as you said, to know that each person will grieve at their own time and in their own way. And you just got to be mindful and respectful of that. Yes, totally. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on is secondary losses and role changes. So this is something that I don't think a lot of us talk about. Um, when I, I remember going, watching my parents navigate their divorce and my mom was like, man, your social system systems really change. You know, like people started to pick sides. Um, and my parents, sometimes like, you know, you'd be like, oh, well, they're going to go with him and they're going to stay with us. And so that's a secondary loss. Your social systems change. Like I noticed walking through the world, even in communities that I had been a part of when I was married and knew me as a married woman, when I got divorced, some people treated me differently as a single woman. And that was shocking to me, but it was a, it's a secondary loss, right? It makes sense when I was like, oh, that's what a secondary loss is. So there's a, you know, if you're in grief and you're feeling some other feelings come up, pull back and say, okay, this is a secondary loss, right? 
a secondary loss of like losing your job is losing that community, right? Losing that financial security, losing healthcare. That's a secondary loss of like, you know, losing your job through a layoff. And then role changes. This is something. So just like I talked about a couple minutes ago of having a new child enter the family, having someone removed from the family changes roles. So my dad was, you know, he was a big kind of a mediator and peacekeeper. We had a very complex family dynamic. He was remarried, had two children with his new wife. So we had half siblings. My dad leaves the picture. A lot of things changed in that, you know, those roles were all scrambled up and we had to figure it out. It could be as simple as, you know what? My brother used to mow the lawn and he died in a, in a, you know, in an accident. And now we have to find someone new to mow the lawn. It can be as simple as that, but it's still, there's grief in that moment of realizing someone used to fill this role and now they're not physically here to do it. And we have to adjust. It's okay to acknowledge that grief. Again, there's so many little tidbits here that I'm learning about on this call. I'm absolutely loving this and kind of sad it's ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. But I just didn't, you don't think about the secondary roles. So, so that's all I want to say is you really don't think about it. And I, I can use the example of my uncle. Um, well, technically ex-uncle now. He was a huge part of our lives. Always there. I used to spend summers with, with um, at his house. And just that because they got my aunt and him got divorced, he just kind of went to the wayside and actually disappeared for a while. Um, so that's just interesting to me. I guess disappeared in my perspective, I should say. <laughs> well, let me just offer that we have an aunt in my life who is a divorce. She was married to my dad's brother. He had multiple wives. That was a th that's kind of a family pattern in my, my dad's family. Um, but we loved her so much that we kept her. And she got remarried. This is, I swear, true story. She got remarried and uh, they came to like a, a New Year's Eve party or something. I was like, oh, hi, Uncle Kevin. He was like, Desiree, I'm not your uncle. I'm not your uncle. And I'm like, no, you're you're married to Aunt Sandy. And he's like, but she's not your aunt. She used to be your, and I'm like, I was like 10, you know? So I was like, I don't care. You're my uncle. I still call him Uncle Kevin. I am the only person on this earth. He came to my mom's service a couple of years. I was like, Aunt Sandy and Uncle Kevin. Like we still keep them in our family. So family is not necessarily... And that is the most painful parts of divorce, right? There, there are people that I bonded with in my ex-husband's family that I don't speak to anymore. And it's really painful for me um, because I was a part of that family for almost 20 years. And it's just that, you know, I love that my mom was like, no, we love Sandy. And even though she and Thurman got divorced, we're going to keep her, you know, and, and we still... <laughs> I need to reach out to her, actually. Uh, thank you for bringing up that story because I need to see how she's doing. But, you know, so it, that is a secondary loss, but it's okay to, you know, maybe extend an olive branch and say, you know, you were you were an integral part of my life. I really admire you for these things. That's that moment of connection. And it's nobody says that our family needs to look a specific way. Um, we get to define that. And so it's okay if that is something that you're grieving and if you want to try to, you know, now and all like if it would just cause like a huge issue in your family, then maybe not, you know, maybe evaluate how that's going to go down. But um, 
just to let you know that it's okay to have aunts and uncles that are not actually your aunts and uncles anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My family, we, but we put the fun in dysfunction. I will just say that. Um, But yeah, we do things a little bit differently. Uh, It's funny because my family is kind of similar. This is just also a weird side note on my end here. But so my dad's really close friends, not blood related, obviously close friends, but Aunt Carol, Uncle Johnny, Uncle Al, Uncle Carlos, none of them are remotely related to me, but (laughs) we grew up so close. Essentially, their kids were like our brothers and sisters for my brother and I. And uh, it's just funny that you mentioned that because like I know exactly what you're talking about. Slightly different scenario, but at the same time, I get it. And it's just so interesting to think about because family doesn't have to be blood. I think a lot of people don't realize that family can be your close friends, the people who are there for you when you need them the most. And I think it's beautiful that you that you bring that to light. I love that. I love this conversation. Again, I'm sad that it's coming to an end, but That's you know, okay. We can chat again if to. you want. Oh, anytime absolutely. you need a guest. <laughs> absolutely. Um, um, well, I'd like to. Oh, sorry. Please go ahead. I just want to leave one one parting kind of like an idea is that it's okay to to not be okay, and it's okay to share that with people. But you know live for these moments of connection. I want to bring to light that grief does not have to be this journey of like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh. Um, And, you know, it's, you can have moments of like Tigger moments. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, we're not ending just yet. I always like to end with a couple questions. So you're not off the hook yet. Um, What am I, one of the most common questions I like to ask, it's one of my favorite ones is, if you could have any superpower, what would your superpower be? Ah, oh, I love this question. And um, I actually pondered this uh, years ago. And the, the answer that came up for me, Jason, was I was in such a horrible place at the time. I was going through a divorce. And when I first like pondered this question, and it was to give hope to people who are in a hopeless situation. And the way that the, why that speaks to me so much is that when we have hope, we have the energy to keep moving forward, even if it's a baby step. And, but if you don't have hope, then then there's times where you're like, why even try? Right. And so hope is so important. So if you're struggling where you're feeling hopeless, find ways to, to, to find that hope. And even sometimes it might be through helping other people. Um, is how you find that hope. Some connecting with other people. Um, yeah. So it would be if I could instill hope, if I could gift hope to people who are feeling hopeless, that would be my superpower. I love this question. <laughs> I, I love the answer. Also, I went super comic book nerd mode in my head as soon as you said hope. I went, oh, Superman. Because his yeah. ass on the chest, it's a symbol for hope. And I was like, oh, I was like, Let's see where this is going. Let's see where it's going. I was like, oh, I was like, that wasn't the the angle I expected. And I love it. I love when people surprise me with answers and don't just go with, and don't get me wrong, I enjoy these as well. With people like, oh, I just want to teleport to wherever I want in the world. Selfishly, I want that power because who wants to pay for, for flights or fly 12 hours to get to somewhere cool? Yes, um, exactly. But the, the awesome part is that when you can hope, 
enables you to connect with others. In order to pass that on, it is passed on through connection. And so, yeah, yep. we're connecting with others. And that's, I just kind of think that's the whole reason why we're here. Agreed. Yeah. Love it. One last question. Maybe two. We'll see. What is your favorite quote? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a loaded one. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about this one. Um, it's a Winnie the Pooh quote. And it's, it's something about, I'm so thankful that I have something to miss. It, it's, a, oh, I need to find it. Um, I love that one. It was shared by somebody in my ex-husband's family when his dad was passing. And in, it's Winnie the Pooh said it. And it's just, it's like, I'm so grateful that I had something that I'm going to miss so much. Um, and that, I feel like that embodies, that's my favorite quote related to grief. Um, trying to pull it up. My internet is being um, <laughs> messy because I'm really, I can get the exact quote for you. I wish I would have had it. Um, well, you didn't yeah, know I was going to ask the question. So <laughs> it, it was something like, I'm so thankful that I had something so incredible that makes saying goodbye hard. Um, oh. That's the gist of it. It's, it's that, it's recognizing the gift in that relationship. Found Did you it. find it? Yes. Okay. What is it? How lucky am I to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard? Yes. Yes. That's and it's a, a Winnie the Pooh quote, right? Okay. Winnie the Pooh, still underrated. It has all the, all the amazing quotes. I, there's a quote that I used to have on my phone. I forgot what it was. Let me see if I can find the picture really quick. We are going on a tangent here, but that's okay. Um, oh. So it's, I love this because this one keeps me present and keeps me upbeat. When people ask, what day is it? So it says, what day is it? And Pico says, today. Ah, said Pooh, my favorite day. I love that one too. And that's like reminding us to be in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then I have another one that I want to throw out there. Sure. I found this one in a dark, when I was in a dark place and it, and it says, when you're really, when you're in a dark place, you feel like you've been buried, but you, but what if you've been planted, right? So it plants the seed of, you feel like life is burying you, right? But maybe you're, and then there's another quote that says for a seed to like become its fullest expression, it must be complete, it must com completely come undone, right? And, and to the outside world, it looks like destruction. And you're like, Oh, maybe I've just been planted and I'm sprouting into a new life, right? And grief is a time like I, I was talking to somebody the other day and she had two recent losses. Um, and I knew her from another circle and she came to grief seminar um I was hosting and we were talking afterwards and she said, I just feel like I'm never gonna be the same. And I'm like, Well, the good news and the bad news is that's true, but you're gonna bloom into something new. And, it, and it's, it's going to take time. Another thing that David Kessler really, this shifted so much for me. And partly, part of the reason why I went to grief educator training was to deal with my own grief. Early grief is six, like from the loss to six months. Oh, no, that's acute grief. That's like, oh, the world is on fire, right? Then early grief is six months to two years. And I was like, really, that's a long time. But the more that I thought about it, it makes sense. 
you that whole first year, you've got your year of first, their first birthday, you know, like, like there's a lot coming at you, especially after the loss of a loved one. It's a lot coming at you going through the holidays the first time um, without them. And so two years, it's, you start to settle into your new life. So just wanted to throw that out there. It's too important not to share. All right. Other question. I gave you like four quotes and they're no, like yeah. nebulous quotes because I can't give you the exact ones right now. That's fair. Hey, we jammed on some Winnie the Pooh quotes, so it's perfect. <laughs> if, if they take nothing else away, they got Winnie the Pooh quotes at the end of this. I know. And who hates <laughs> Winnie the Pooh? You can't hate Winnie the Pooh. That's illegal. Right? I know. Right? <laughs> fair enough. Well, I want to be conscientious of your time here i know you have other things going on today i love this this chat uh, i look forward to having another one here in the near future um, i want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and for providing all these amazing tips for people especially during the holiday season they're going to be important throughout their lives in general but the holiday season a lot of people a lot of people get hit a lot differently during that time frame and i really appreciate you coming on thank you so so much Thank you so much, Jason. This is uh, this is my joy. I love sharing this with other people. We don't have to wallow around in our pity. Let's connect and and heal um, through connection and 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 healthy relationships. So, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about something really difficult. Of course. Uh, again, I really really appreciate you. All right. All right. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>